Welcome to podcasts recorded live at the Center for Spiritual Living in Portland, Oregon. Listen past the end of the podcast to find out more about our spiritual center and ways that you may collaborate with us. Welcome, everybody. So glad you're here. We're in this marvelous book called Words That Heal Today, one of Ernest Holmes' books. And he's specifically going through the teachings of Jesus, one of our master teachers. He's doing his new thought interpretation, which I think is a lot of fun. Today, I want to focus in on something that is... Gosh, I would say it's well talked about, but not from the metaphysical standpoint. And that are the Jesus's parables. And so we're going to spend a little bit of time talking about his heaven on earth parables. And you'll, you'll see what that uh, is about in a moment. But of course, if we're going to talk about heaven, there are any number of jokes about <laughs> heaven. So... Uh, uh, I found one. <laughs> Three buddies die in a car crash, and so they're up for heaven in their orientation program. Who knew there's an orientation program? Right away, I'm sold. They're informed that one of the benefits is they have the opportunity to be present, to be present at their own funeral. So the orientation angel asks each one of them, now, when you're in your casket and your friends and family are gathered around you, what would you like them to say about, what, uh, about you? What would you like to hear? Well, the first guy says, I would like to hear them say that I was a true friend and a loyal family member. The second guy says, well, I'd like to hear that I was a wonderful husband. And, you know, I taught school for over 35 years. I would like one of my students to come up and say what a difference I made in his or her life. And the last guy thinks a minute and replies, well, I'd like to hear them say, oh, my gosh, he's still alive. <laughs> That's Jesus's take on this whole heaven thing. One of the things that you'll catch on to really quickly if you're reading through the New Testament is that Jesus does not think that heaven is some final destination. In fact, if you read almost all of Jesus's parables, they all start out the same way. They all start out and heaven is like, or they'll say the kingdom of heaven is like, or they'll say, the kingdom of God is like. And now you might imagine what comes after the like is some story of, uh, of otherworldly beautifulness, you know, the, the mansion in the sky or something like that. And much to your surprise, you would discover that after Jesus says the kingdom of heaven is like, he'll talk about uh, money laundering, or he'll talk about finding a pearl of great, great price at the marketplace. He'll talk about uh, uh, workers that are almost always late into the vineyard and what a terrible thing that is, right? All of his heaven on earth stories are on earth. They're not about some everlasting place uh, up in the clouds. And so I wanted to focus on that today and talk a little bit about why that is true. So let's start with a, a quick quote from uh, Ernest Holmes as he begins this interpretation of the kingdom of heaven. He says, reducing the teachings of Jesus to its utmost simplicity, we find the central theme of his thought was that there is a spiritual prototype 
or pattern in the mind of God, which is the true cause and the equivalent of the entire physical universe. We are a spiritual being right now. We are immortal right now as much as we ever can become. We already are inspirited. We live in God now and the nature of God flows through us at this moment. We have already inherited the kingdom of God. This kingdom was prepared from the foundation of the world at its inception. It already exists. It simply waits our recognition. And so his belief around the parables of Jesus is not that Jesus was describing some far off land that will enter upon our death or, or you know, be judged and, and found uh, wanting or something like that. His theory, and I think it's admirably backed up through scripture, is that heaven is always available to us. We don't have to wait for it. And so then when you have that understanding and start read through the parables, you get a much better idea of what he's talking about. And I want to start by just reading one, I think of one of his most powerful parables, the parable of the growing seed. And so Jesus said, this is what the kingdom of heaven is like. A man scatters seed on the ground. Night and day, whether he sleeps or gets up, The seed sprouts and grows, though he does not know how. All by itself, the soil produces grain, the first stock, then the head, then the full kernel in the head. And as soon as the grain is ripe, each of us puts the sickle to it because the harvest has come. And then a few uh, sentences later, apparently one of the disciples uh, was having a slow day. Uh, uh, (laughs) We all have slow days, right? So then Jesus said to them, don't you understand this parable? How then will you understand any parable? The farmer sows his word. Now, for those of you uh, who haven't been doing Bible interpretations recently, or like ever, (laughs) I probably need to talk about this idea of the word for a minute. So almost all the Bibles that we have, whether it's the New English Standard Version, whether it's King James, they're all based originally on a Greek translation from Aramaic, and the original Aramaic just got lost. So, and in Greek, there are two words that mean word. One of them is logos, which is the one that they've translated here into the word. And the other one is alexi, which represents the written or spoken word. So when Jesus is saying what you are sowing is your word, he's not meaning what you say or what you write down, not words. The idea of logos is actually your heartfelt intention. It is the living word. And in some Bibles, it will translate it into the living word or the creative word. The idea being behind this use. And there isn't even really, there isn't actually a word in English that translates. And that's why we we have trouble with this is the idea of it is, is a word that means something that we're not used to thinking about. That our intentions have power that our ability to see and hold and know a truth for ourselves, even a truth that doesn't exist yet, is powerful. 
And so those are the seeds that they're talking about in this planting, uh, the, this planting idea. And, and I want to go back over it now, now that you understand that idea of what the word is, what these seeds are, because there are a couple little interesting things in here that you might not have noticed. Day and night, whether he sleeps or gets up, the seed sprouts and grows, even though he does not know how. All by itself, the soil produces grain, the first stalk, the head, right up until the grain is ripe and we get to harvest it. Once you have claimed your logos, once you have in your own heart and in your own mind accepted some truth, some spiritual truth for yourself, whether it be greater love, whether it be greater joy, whether it be greater abundance, once you have created within you this living word, you don't have to do anything else. God simply takes it over, even, even as you don't need to know how the soil produces the plant. Once you have planted this seed, this, this creative word of God in your own heart and in your own mind, and therefore in God's heart and in God's mind, oh my gosh, you are free. So all of these kingdom of gods, all these heaven on earth parables, are more of this idea. What can we do to create not only a heaven for us and whatever happens next? And I also think it's interesting that Jesus, even Jesus never says anywhere in the New Testament, what happens next? That's like for us to discover, right? But what he's teaching is that our existence can be as heavenly as we'd like to make it, as much as we can accept right here and right now in every moment of every day. The possibility for experiencing heaven, which I would translate as love, as joy, as peace, as happiness, as the, as the good life, that exists for us in every moment as we accept it, as we turn our attention to it, as we use the power of our word, this creative word, this logos, to claim our birthright. The, the next thing in this chapter from Ernest Holmes that he talks about, I think is also interesting, and I want to read uh, just a little bit uh, from Matthew 7. That first parable was from Mark 4. This is Matthew 7. Because uh, Ernest Holmes uses this a little bit as a, as a testament or a testimony of where to go from here. He says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find it. Knock and the door will be opened for you. For everyone who receives, excuse me, for everyone who asks will receive. Everyone who seeks will find. And to the one who knocks, the door is always opened. Which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your God in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? So, in everything, do to others which you would have them do to you, for this sums up the law and the prophets. Okay, so a big gulp there. First of all, he's saying that God is always always available. This whole idea of asking, seeking, and knocking. The fruits, the, the abundance of the universe is there, but if we don't ask for it, we don't even notice it. If we do not claim it, it will not be ours to enjoy. 
I wanted to use a, an example um, from my own life. You know, we're, we're big around here on actively approaching our spirituality. We, we actively uh, endorse using treatments or affirmative prayers. We teach people how to do affirmations, uh, building mental equivalence, storyboarding, all, all techniques that I believe are, are really useful for, for making our Logos name uh, uh, known, for claiming it. And I just wanted to use a, maybe an example or two for my own life. And I was um, ruminating a little bit. Yes, even Larry can ruminate. Uh, and you know, I've had some amazing, amazing, like stellar, like show-stopping kind of uh, changes in my life due to prayer. And I'm not going to do any of those. I'm not, I'm not going to tell you how I manifested a house when I had no idea how I was going to pay for it, um, how the relationship I'm in right now is a direct result of prayer. I'm not going to mention some of the other show-stoppers out there. Oh, wait. <laughs> Or, or am I? <laughs> what I want to do, rather than portray one of those kind of the heavens part and you hear angels singing, I would like to portray a more everyday miracle for you. Because I think we miss them. I think we absolutely miss the, the idea of bringing to our God into our lives in, in the smallest of ways. So, so I used to live in a 110-year-old house uh, in northeast Portland, off uh, northeast 64th. It was 110 years old, and unfortunately, it was 110 years old. I mean, it had, it had a lot of things going for it, but I got to tell you, a 110-year-old furnace, it was the original furnace in it. They had simply converted it from coal into oil. Not a good thing, not a good thing. I will say though, the previous owner must have been a gourmet cook because I walked into a kitchen that was done to the nines. Everything else was 110 years old. I had appliances that were worth more than the car I was driving at the time. I mean, did you even know there were $3,000 dishwashers? I mean, this, the dishwasher had been imported from Sweden. I guess, I guess they're cleaner there. I mean, who, who, it's like, who knew, right? And so I'm, I'm setting up in my new kitchen and I do love to cook and really enjoying everything. And I made a, a big, uh, well, the people who, who helped me move in, like I cooked a big dinner for them and we're having fun. And I discover that my brand new dishwasher doesn't work. <laughs> and so I called the repair people. There was only one person in the entire city of Portland that could even work on a Swedish dishwasher. And do you know how I found out it was worth $3,000? because that's what it was going to cost to either fix it or repair it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So I'm sitting there, right? I've just gone through closing costs and moving costs and the cost of doing a few other repairs on the house, and I'm going, I guess I'm washing my dishes by hand then, because, <laughs> like, that isn't going to happen. And those of you who know me are going, Larry, wash the dishes by hand, <laughs> right? Actually, in, in my college days, I would just buy new dishes. It was, it, was just, it was easier, right? You can always go to Goodwill and get some extra dishes. And, you know, eventually someone will come over and wash them. So that's kind of, so, <laughs> so that, you know, that's kind of my theory about dishes. And so I realized that I had to do something. And so I'm getting out manuals on dishes washers and like if you have the right parts maybe you can fix them yourselves I actually put in a call to the rep that handles the Swedish account and he's telling me oh well maybe
maybe you should try, maybe it's a clog on one of the sensors and you can pour boiling water in and you can do this. And, and I'm just trying to get all creative and, and I'm like, maybe I should just pray about this. Maybe even a dishwasher could be healed. And so I'm kind of cleaning up the mess of putting the boiling water in there, which by the way, I don't recommend, and <laughs> as I'm cleaning it up. And I'm sitting down and I'm really frustrated. And so I just sat there cross-legged on the floor and I said, God truly is everywhere. That includes my own home. It includes my own dishwasher. And if there is this pattern of perfection that describes me, that describes the planet, why would not this pattern of perfection also describe my wonderful Swedish dishwasher? And so I closed my eyes and I pictured my dishwasher with unlimited energy and the ability to do all of my dirty dishes. I just sat there for a moment in gratitude, speaking my word, my logos for knowing that my kitchen is clean and my dishes were done. And it felt so good. And in that instant, I knew that somehow I would be taken care of. And as I'm sitting there cross-legged, I leaned back, the dishwasher door clicked, and it turned on. My dishwasher was healed. Now the reason I tell you this story instead of one that might have been more meaningful <laughs> like, like some of the others I alluded to is don't we often save our prayers for what we think are the big things? We save somehow our prayers for, for healing someone with cancer or for, uh, you know, for, for the, the third job that you, you lost or you know, what it, something that seems monumental and huge. And I would like to suggest that when we begin praying on small things, it builds our confidence and our faith so that when the big things come along, we know it works. What a pleasure it was to know that God was not diminished through the use of my dishwasher, right? <laughs> right? I mean, I know it sounds trivial, but, but do you think that God, that there's some small or big in God? Of course not. And do I think that God only hears me when I'm desperate? Of course not. We can use the power and the presence of our logos, of our ability to claim what's right and good and beautiful and joyous and happy in our life around anything, around everything. The other thing about Jesus' parables is that is though they talk about everyday things, they're also... Uh, uh, existing on multiple planes. And so even though it might describe how you can go about, you know, on the physical plane, getting your workers to behave better. One of the parables basically is getting your workers to behave better so that they come on time. And of course, that's useful and nice. Uh, but the secondary meaning of almost all of his parables works in the processes of our own mind and our own spirituality. And from that perspective, as we're creating our logos, as we're creating that, that mental equivalent of what we want to see and accept in the world, we also have to set the stage for other people. 
So let me use uh, uh, another uh, brief example here. It is not possible for us to claim a great job and a great working environment unless we are able to do that for others. So don't be thinking that you can be the stinky employee in a wonderful job. You want the wonderful job, you have to represent the wonderful job. You have to be the wonderful employee. You have to draw to you through the power of your logos and you have to participate in it. So you want a great relationship, you can't be crabby in it, right? You have to set the atmosphere up for what you want so that you can draw it in. I know a lot of people that want stuff but they're unwilling to participate in that stuff. They want the great job, they want abundance, they, they want a better lifestyle, they want a better relationship, and my observation of them is they're not up to snuff in their own way. They're not a good employee. Why, why would they expect the stellar job that would go with that? They're not participating fully in the relationship that they have. Why would they expect a bigger one? So in addition to claiming our logos, we have to know that we are there with it. That that same level of interest and expectation that we have on the universe, we're gonna participate in. If I want the great job, I'm the great employee. If I want the great love, I'm the great lover. If I, if I want anything on this planet, part of the mental equivalent, part of the logos, has to be me. I can't just change the outside, I gotta change the inside. Our outside is virtually always a reflection of what's going on here. If we wanna change that, we change this. And that's why Ernest Holmes, at the, it uh, goes over, uh, talks about the end of Acts, Seek, and Knock, when he says, so in everything, do to others which, we, which you would have them do to you. For this sums up the law and the prophets. And the law that he's talking about here is the law that says how that logos works. So if we want it to work for us, we have to make sure that we're setting up the environment where it works for everyone. So let me summarize here. First of all, we seek out heaven on earth. We're not waiting. Our good is always available. This isn't something that we have to put off. Anything that seems less than heaven on earth right now means that we haven't claimed our good well enough. It means there's some logos work, that creative word uh, yet to go. We recognize that we can always create heaven through our faith. We shouldn't put, out, put off our experience of heaven, but rather to seek it out, that ask, that knock, so that we can receive, so that the door is opened for us. And then finally, to experience heaven, we must be heavenly. We must be able to participate. If we want to see peace in the world, we must be peaceful. If we want greater love in the world, love, love has to be just brimming on our, on our hearts and in our deeds uh, to all the people that we encounter. So I'm going to close uh, with just a tiny bit of homework. Uh, and this one I think is easy, but my question is, how can you make each day more heavenly? How can you use the power of your logos, your creative word, to make each day more heavenly? Now, remember, logos, part of, a big part of it is what? Setting your intention. It's your intentional word. So how can you 
intend, how can you accept a tomorrow that is more beautiful, more loving, more joyous, more abundant, more peaceful than today? Maybe some journaling would help with that. Maybe a prayer would help with that. All right, I'll close with a a final quote from Words That Heal today. Ernest Holmes says, the whole instruction of Jesus was to the effect that the kingdom is present with us now in all of its fullness. The truth he talked about not only includes immortality and the goings on of the individual soul, it also includes the provision and instructions for our needs at each step of the journey, here as well as hereafter. The kingdom is at hand and the substance of that kingdom is flowing. The love of God is not a far off event, but a present reality. The divine outpouring is eternally taking place. The illuminated one conceived the table of life to be spread with the gifts of heaven and invites all to sup. But in this moment, in this very moment, could it be possible that we are already at the banquet table of heaven and simply refusing to eat. Let us pray. There is one power and one presence, one life, one joy, one happiness, this one thing that I call God. And what I know about God in its abundance, it includes me, that my life is part of God's life, that my joy is coming from God itself, that this this banquet table of all good, of all joy, of all peace, of all love is set for me as well. I say yes to it. I knock where I need a door to be opened. I, I ask when there is something that I desire in my heart, and I use my logos, my creative word, to build a mental equivalent of a better life for me and for others. As this is true for me, I know that it is the potential for each person in this room. Each of us has that ability. Well, it's more than an ability. Logos simply is. As we state our intentions in our mind, in our words, and in our deeds, they are fulfilled. And so for each person in this room, perhaps it's a case of simply choosing more wisely where we put our creative power. And for this, I'm grateful. I'm grateful for the ability to choose and choose and choose again where we put our intentions, where we put the power of our creative word. And so in gratitude, I release this prayer. I release it into the activity and action of the law itself. I let it be. And together we say, and so it is. Thank you so much for being here today. So glad you were here. We hope you enjoyed today's podcast. If you happen to be in the Portland, Oregon area, we'd love to have you visit in person. The Portland Center for Spiritual Living is located at 6211 Northeast Martin Luther King Jr. Boulevard. We have inspirational services at 9 and 11 a.m. every Sunday. Our mission is to open hearts, ignite minds, and to make a difference. If you'd like to support our center and its podcasts, you can donate online at www.pcsl.us slash donate. Our website is also the place to learn more about what's going on at the center or to contact us. 
Allow us to become part of your extended community. Wherever you are on your spiritual journey, you are most welcome at the Center for Spiritual Living.